Well, good morning, and I uh, hope you had a lovely Christmas, and uh, want to wish you uh, God's richest blessings in the year that lies ahead. I hope you got some lovely Christmas presents as well, like I did, although one present that I really didn't enjoy was a horrible cold uh, after coming back to Scotland, so I'm just getting over it, and... Uh, no, I'm sure. I, I think it's nearly... Sorry, that's what about. Okay, and uh, so we've actually split the sermon time into two parts this morning, and uh, with a song in the middle, basically to try and allow my voice to keep going uh, for the time that it needs to. And so, as David has mentioned, we're going back to the Gospel of John, and uh, at this point, we're in John chapter 6, and we're going to carry right on through the Gospel of John until around about Easter time. So let's turn to John chapter 6, and we're just going to read um, the first of two really well-known stories, Um, and this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, a story which we can read about um, in other Gospels as well. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, only to test him, for he really had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Hmm, here's a little boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When all they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, we could easily spend the whole of this morning just looking at this passage, but we're literally only going to take a few minutes to highlight a couple of really important lessons that maybe we need to take on board individually and as a church in the year that lies before us. So let's take a moment to pray. 
Father God, thank you again for the opportunity at the start of another year to follow Jesus as wholeheartedly as we can with the help of your Holy Spirit. And so even as we um, think and reflect on these simple stories this morning, we pray that they will encourage us to follow you even stronger in the coming weeks and months. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually do quite looking forward to Christmas. Because normally, not just for me, but I'm sure for many of us, the period coming up to Christmas just ends up being manic. And you just think, come on, Christmas can't come soon enough where I can get some time off and chill out and, and relax. And it was a little bit like that for Jesus. Jesus had been through a pretty manic time. So much was going on. So many people were crying for his attention. And he knew that not only he, but also his disciples just needed some chill out time. And so the passage tells us they went up in a mountain to try and get away from all the stuff that had been going on and just take time to be on their own and relax. One of the other translations says, come with me by yourselves. And so Jesus recognized that they weren't quite burnt out, but they couldn't just keep on going at the level of ministry that they had been involved in. So let's get away from all the hustle and bustle of the crowds and uh, we'll just chill out for a little while. And so it was great being over in the Isle of Man and... uh, I'm not sure it was completely relaxing, but uh, just chilling out on the hills with, with the family. And uh, one of the things we ended up doing, which I've never done before, was letterboxing. How many people have ever done letterboxing? Oh, all right. Okay, this doesn't just happen in the Isle of Man. Um, you can actually do it in Scotland, although it's not just as well organized. But... Um, In the Isle of Man, there are these metal boxes, you know, like about a foot by four inches, metal boxes, and there's maybe a hundred of them, and they're actually buried all over the island, you see. So they're maybe buried under rocks or in ditches or in hedgerows, and and you've got clues and compass points, and you have to try and find them. And then whenever you find them, there's a stamp inside the box that you stick on your little sticker book. And then you put your little sticker on the book. Yeah, anyway. And it's all really exciting. And uh, so here's one of the little grandchildren climbing over a stone wall as we were trying to find uh, this letterbox. But, um, you know, it was busy. I was quite tired at the end of it. But it was just relaxing and chill out time. And a great thing to do. And Jesus recognized the importance of just time out, time away, time to relax. And so I pray that over the last couple of weeks, you've had some time just to ease off the normal pressures and take a little bit of time out. And that's a sort of discipline. And here's Heather probably going to wave at me from the back saying, David, please listen to your own sermon. And, uh, but it's a discipline that we all need to plan into our diaries and into our lives throughout 2019. You know, we can't keep burning the candle at both ends, 
and we can't just keep working 24-7, even though that work might be really important and, and really worthwhile, and we're doing it for the kingdom. But we also need time out just to chill out and relax. And that was something Jesus recognized as much as anybody else. And of course, the lessons are there throughout uh, Scripture. Remember the story of Elijah, uh, who had ran such a distance, and then he was emotionally drained, and, and he was just absolutely wiped out. And then how he took time out and was refreshed by God through the ravens at Kerith and Horeb. And of course, sometimes we need to be reminded that in the end, whatever we're doing in the life of the church for God is actually not about us. It'll survive long after we have gone. Whatever ministry we're involved in in the church doesn't depend upon me or you or any other group of people involved in that ministry. In the end, we are reminded, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain to build it. You know, we can do loads and loads and loads and loads extra, but that doesn't guarantee that the Lord's blessing will be upon it. In the end, unless the Lord, by his Spirit, is working through what we're doing, nothing uh, will be accomplished of eternal significance. So, just at the very start of 2019, just a lesson here at the very start of this story, where Jesus goes up under the mountain and says, come on guys, it's been manic, let's chill out for a little while. But of course, as you know the story, it didn't last for very long, because no sooner had they turned around and discovered that this massive crowd of people um, had actually noticed where they were and were following after them. And I suppose Jesus' response could have been, look, let's just go a little bit higher up the mountain. Um, at least that will get rid of some of them. Or perhaps if we you know, wait till nightfall and then we can sneak off a different direction because I know these routes pretty well and perhaps we can find a cave or a little coffee shop somewhere where nobody knows us and, and uh, we can just sidestep them. But you see, the Bible says that as soon as this crowd came, Jesus immediately comes and he says to the disciples, like, how are we going to feed all these people? I mean, immediately he, he recognized the plight in which these people were going to be. They had walked perhaps for miles in the heat of the day, and they would be hungry. And Jesus says, but like, I know you guys have hardly had a chance to sit down. You've hardly finished your first coffee. And here the demands are back upon us again. And so Jesus expresses compassion for the people. And I came across this little quotation which simply says, compassion is what makes me feel pain when somebody else is hurting. And I quite like that. And no matter who we are or what we're involved in in terms of ministry, undergirding all of it surely is compassion. As a church, we want to be a church that's characterized by compassion. And ultimately, that's what ought to drive us in doing what we're doing in terms of our ministry schedule. We're not just doing it out of a sense of duty or doing it for our own sake, but because we sense compassion and love for those that we're ministering to, either within the church, within the wider community, therefore, we seek to respond to their needs.
And, and I know this was, you know, I sort of left the kids at home in the Alleman and I said to Heather, you know, let's run down to Costa and we'll grab a coffee before we have to go and see another some part of the family or whatever. And uh, of course, I just walked into Costa and there was a young guy there and, um, who I'd known for many years, uh, just home from university. And so I went up and said, yeah, how are you doing? How's university? And trying to think where on earth he was. Um, and and he, he said to me, you really ought to pop up and see my mum. And uh, I, I knew his mum really well, and she and uh, her husband had just got divorced. And it was really sad, you know. He was one of the worship leaders in my church, and it, it, was, a, it was a tragic, tragic situation. And he said, I know my mum would love to see you, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. John, meant to me, meant to be on holidays until, you know. But, you know, nine o'clock at night, yeah, I think I've still got time to pop in, you know. And so you end up going and visiting. Again, not just because you had to, not just because it was a friend, but I think genuinely feeling concern and, and just longing to be able to input and help and encourage in some way. And I suspect many of us find ourselves in similar situations like that day after day, week after week, month after month. And in one sense, that's how Jesus acted. And as Paul says in Ephesians 5, we're called to imitate him. And so whenever we do see situations where people are in need and people genuinely need our help or our encouragement or our support, even though sometimes we just think, ah, oh. but we do so because we recognize the importance of sharing the love of Christ whenever we can. And I just pray that as a church, we will continue in 2019 just to go the extra mile sometimes and uh, just to lift up the phone or write a wee card or call in with someone or just put an arm on a shoulder and say, come on. It would be great to do that. And no longer had I done that. And <laughs> I had another message, you know, a text message saying, oh, do you know, I gather you were speaking to my son at the Christmas Eve service. It would be lovely to try and catch up for a coffee. And so I ended up in this little cafe the following day. Um, it was a lovely little cafe um, in, in, in a little glen in the Isle of Man. Um, again, speaking to someone whose partner had just died a year ago and we had been good friends over the years. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? You know, this balance between trying to show compassion on the one hand and yet being disciplined with regards to time on the other. And I'm sure at times I never quite get the balance right. But let's not lose what's really important at the heart of that. That even sometimes in our busyness, as a congregation, the business of our lives. Let's be a church that hurts when other people are hurting and is willing to show compassion to those who are in need. But the main point of this story that I want to leave with you this morning is whenever Jesus really turns to Philip and says, Philip, <laughs> what are you going to do about this? Um, or in one of the other translations and indeed one of the other Gospels, Jesus turns to the disciples and says, like, why are you looking at me? Like, you guys give them something to eat. 
And the disciples just scratch their head and think, Jesus, are you off your rocker? You know, they probably didn't express it like that, you know. But, but they must have thought, Jesus, like, you're the guy that does miracles around here, not us. Um, what on earth are we meant to do? Like, even if someone gave us, in today's money, 20 grand, we could hardly feed all these people. There are so many of them. And even if we had the money, like, where are we going to get the food? And then Andrew brings the little boy that we read about. And it's hard to know whether Andrew was really saying, Jesus, you know, here's a little boy with a little lunch. You know, maybe you could do something really magic with this. Or whether he came to Jesus, like, frustrated and thinking, Jesus, look, we've tried everybody, and this is all we've got. Like, what on earth can we do with this? It's hard to know what was in his mind. But nevertheless, Jesus takes all that the little boy had to offer, and through that, he satisfies such a huge crowd of people. And sometimes, I suppose, we also think, you know, what on earth can we do in the ministry that God has called us to? What difference can we make? And yet Jesus normally works through ordinary people like us. Jesus actually knew what he was going to do, the text says. But nevertheless, through it all, he wanted his disciples to be involved in it. He wanted them to check out the situation. He wanted them to organize the people into groups and sit down uh, in the right place. He wanted them to do the distribution. He wanted them to pick up the food at the end. He wanted them to be involved from the very commencement. Sometimes I was wondering, do you know, what on earth happened to all the 12 baskets of food that were picked up at the end? Did they all take them in the boat, you know, the next morning? Or what did they do with them? Did they sort of distribute them at the end of the day to the neediest people in the 5,000? Or you know, what? You know, do you ever think questions like that in the Bible? You say, I wish I knew the answer to that. What happened to 12 baskets that were lifted at the end? We don't have a scooby. Answers on a postcard? Best answer will be read out next Sunday morning. But, uh, that's probably not true. But I wonder what Jesus is asking you to do this year. I wonder what Jesus is asking us as a church corporately to do next year. And we just think, Jesus, that's massive. 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. High on earth. They had seen him do miracles. But the scale of the ask was so massive. Jesus, what on earth are you expecting us to do? Jesus knew what he was going to do. And Jesus had the power to make it happen. But he still wanted to do it through his disciples. He wanted them to be part of the process, to be part of the picture, to be part of the deliverance of the ministry. And I suspect that God wants to do something big through many of us in the year that lies ahead. And I suspect there will be big asks from God for us corporately as a church in the year that lies ahead. Jesus wants us to simply come and give him what we have 
even though it might appear small, but to give it to him in faith and trust that as we give what we have to him, he will multiply it and use it to fulfill his purposes. May God help us to do that in the year that lies ahead. They have come and let's sing another song.
probably saw on the last slide a little picture of the Bruff family standing in Glasgow airport, jaggling with her sun hat, you know, getting ready for Malawi. And, uh, and I sent a bit of picture up there because in one sense, they're just an ordinary family. But God spoke to them and said, look, I've got this big thing for you. Just give me what you have and, and uh, trust in me and we can do something great together. But I, I should have mentioned as well um, that the Bruffs are not in Malawi, um, that their passports were either lost or stolen yesterday at Heathrow, and so they actually haven't made any progress. They're back in Heathrow this morning uh, trying to get the situation resolved. Um, but if they don't get it resolved today, they may well be back in Glasgow and have to wait probably a considerable time to get passports renewed. So we don't understand what's happening in the midst of all of that, but it might be good just to pray for that at the very start. Father God, thank you for people like Jacqueline and Gary, and in a sense just ordinary people. We know that uh, they're just an ordinary family, and yet a family that um, you've chosen to use to accomplish big things in the purposes of your kingdom. And so I just pray that you'll help us in many ways uh, to be inspired by their example and their willingness just to follow you wholeheartedly, whatever it is that you want us to do uh, in your world, whether here in Kirky or elsewhere. And yet whenever we step out to follow you, we realize that it always isn't going to be easy or straightforward. And we don't understand sometimes why why things like this happen. But nevertheless, our trust remains firmly in you. And we thank you for the peace that they do have uh, in the midst of this situation, because their trust is in you. And we just pray that the situation will be resolved uh, in a way that will uh, please you and further your purposes the most. And so we entrust them, even today, uh, to you, uh, to your love and to your grace. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we move on to this second story, and um, you can imagine the disciples, you know, they just said, okay, Jesus, great, we're just going to go for a long, chill-out day, and uh, no sooner had it started, and uh, all the crowd appear, and, and uh, you know, they're flummoxed as to what's going to happen, and then Jesus does another one of these just brilliant miracles, and they're part of it, and you know, they're up to their eyes in the power of God, and they're up to their eyes in the grace of God, and they're up to their eyes in the compassion of Christ. And, and at the end of the day, they just think, whoa, we're even more exhausted. But that was brill. It's just good to be in the purposes of God. It's just good to be working and exercising and ministering where, where Christ is and where his love is apparent. But you'll not be surprised that uh, whenever finally darkness came, um, they were pretty quick to say, okay, let's make a sharp exit here, and uh, if we can get into this wee boat and get across to the other side, over to Capernaum, well, we will definitely leave the crowds behind us. So that's the next part of the story. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And you can imagine them as they were leaving And uh, they could probably still see through the darkness the crowds of people. They could probably still hear the crowds of people as they dispersed back to their homes throughout that whole area of Galilee. But you can imagine them lying back in the boat thinking, wow, it's a great day, but we're glad it's over and we're now heading off across the sea. And by now it was dark, and Jesus hadn't yet joined them. How on earth they expected him to join them, who knows. And a strong wind was blowing, and they probably thought to themselves, Jesus, this is all we need. After such a busy day, I know it's been a good day. I know it's a day when so many people have discovered your love and understood your power, but we really don't need this. And the waters grew rough. And when they rowed about three or four miles, at this point they were almost in the middle of the sea, perhaps even further than the middle of the sea. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. They weren't sure who it was. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. The impression almost being, until they recognized it was him, (laughs) you're not coming into this boat because you just look like a scary ghost. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. He said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd, here they come again, that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 
I mean, in one sense, it's a, another great story. And it's great to see the enthusiasm of the people. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, they were so attracted by Jesus, by the words that he spoke. He spoke as one with authority, by the love and compassion that he showed, by the miracles that, that he did that seemed to demonstrate that he was the Messiah. There was something obviously attractive there was something magnetic about him that drew people to him. But from the point of view of the disciples, they were just thinking, yeah, yeah. Can you not just give us some time out? We're up to here. And of course, the disciples here are in the midst of the storm. And you can imagine the questions. You can imagine them almost arguing. You can imagine them falling out. You can imagine them certainly saying some things. You can certainly imagine Peter saying some things. Or you can imagine others thinking some things that they didn't feel they ought to say. Like, for goodness sake, Jesus. Like, we have just worked our socks off. Jesus, we've just given you everything for the last couple of days, and here we are, and like, you're not even here. Where are you? You're probably having dinner with one of those families. You know, barbecue chicken on the beach or something, whatever, you know. And here's us in this flipping boat, you know, about to get killed. Jesus, where are you? Don't you even care? Of course... John in his gospel here doesn't highlight what was going on. But we know from the other gospels that Jesus had decided to go back up the mountain, partly to get away from the crowd. But not just to chill out, but to re-engage with his father. And so he goes back up into the mountain and he's praying and praying to his father. And almost certainly he was praying for his disciples. There aren't many accounts in the Gospels where we are able to listen in to the prayers of Jesus. But one of them is in John 17, perhaps the most expansive prayer we have of Jesus. And the first five or six verses, Jesus is praying for himself and his forthcoming death. I mean, who wouldn't pray about that in the circumstances? But then the whole rest of the chapter, verse after verse after verse after verse, Jesus directs the prayers for his disciples. A tiny little bit of the prayer, he's praying for himself and his forthcoming uh, crucifixion. But the bulk of the prayer, he's praying for his disciples. And so I think it's probably safe to assume that when Jesus is up here in the mountain, Yes, perhaps he is praying to his father that the father would guide him and direct him and sustain him and enable him. But he's also praying for his disciples that his father would enable them and strengthen them and allow them to continue to be his disciples effectively in whatever the father wanted them to do together. And of course, we know that from Paul's teaching in the book of Romans as well, how 
Jesus is described as being at the right hand of God in Romans 8.34. And he's at the right hand of God interceding for us. Or earlier in the same chapter, in verse 26, he says, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. We don't know even how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with words that can't be expressed. And so on the one hand, we have the disciples exhausted, in the boats, in the midst of a storm. It's getting darker. The waves are getting higher. They're in fear of their lives. And they have not a scooby in the world where Jesus is. In fact, Jesus seems totally distant. Jesus seems almost not to care. In the midst of the situation, where the heck are you? But Jesus is up on the mountain and he's praying for his disciples. And if only they could see him, if only they could listen in to his prayers on the mountain, probably everything would be okay because everything would be back in perspective. And often it's like that for us as children of God, isn't it? And it doesn't make it any easier, even though we're mature Christians and disciples of Christ and involved in his ministry day after day, week after week. We still find situations in our lives where our lives are very rocky and where the storms of life threaten to overwhelm us. And Christ seems distant. And we need to remind ourselves that even in those situations where Jesus seems far away, that he cares about us and that he prays for us. Just imagine that whenever the storm is high and the waves are breaking and we're fearful and exhausted, Jesus is praying for us. Isn't it wonderful to know that even though we're praying for Gary and Jacqueline and the kids this morning, that the Bible teaches us it's an important theological truth that Christ intercedes before the Father on behalf of a family that we love. But at the right time, Jesus came to them and he will come to us. Of course, we know from the other gospel records that whenever they first saw Jesus coming, walking on the waves, that they thought it was a ghost, which is why even in the gospel of John, they were reluctant at first to even let him into the boat. We're not sure who this person is. And yet what we discover is that this what appears to be something to be feared and something to persevere and endure becomes a pathway to discover something more about God's goodness, God's grace, and God's love, and God's power. That even in the midst of this difficult, difficult situation, 
Christ will come and make himself real to us at the right time and out of the storm. He will make a pathway for himself. And indeed, the very storm, the very waves that threatened to overwhelm them, instead of being a stumbling block, become stepping stones. He actually walks on the waves. The things that threaten them, he walks on them to come to him. He uses what is threatening them to make his power apparent. And whenever he comes, he brings us his peace. I was so encouraged. It was late, late last night whenever I got a text from Gary and he said, it's okay, we're at peace. (laughs) Because I suspect most of us in that sort of situation would be pulling her hair out and saying, Ailey, what did you do with those passports? Ailey, what did you do with them? Or someone, or Jacqueline, did you not pack those? Or can you imagine it's like some big thing? Or what on earth? How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to handle it? But actually, his last little comment was, yeah, we're, we're at peace about the situation. And that's because whenever we invite Jesus into our boat in the midst of the storm, he brings us his peace. And so Jesus encourages them as he comes on board, as he demonstrates to them who he is, as he reminds them who he is. The winds calm down because he is the Lord of creation and the Lord of the church. And really, that's the final little point that I want to leave with you this morning. Because throughout 2019, as individuals, as families, as a church family, there's going to be times when it feels like we're in a wee boat in the midst of a storm, and it's very dark outside, and we wonder where on earth Jesus is. But Jesus is Lord of the church, and he'll look after us. I think I've said to you before, The whole future of the church was in that wee boat that night. Just think about it. Like the 12 disciples, the apostolic leadership of the early church. The whole future of the church in the purposes of God was in that wee boat in the midst of the storm. Do you think it was going to sink? Do you think everybody was going to lose their lives? And the church would never get off the ground? You see, not only is Jesus Lord of creation, not only is he all-powerful and able to do amazing stuff, but he's Lord of the church. And the whole foundation of the church was in that wee boat that night. And so they were safe and they were secure. And so in the first story, we're reminded, aren't we, just to, to give what we have to Jesus. And Jesus might invite us to do something amazing in this year that lies ahead. But he wants us to be involved in it as much as we possibly can. But also in the midst of our journey, in the midst of this year that lies before us, there will be tough times as well. 
times when we think, okay, we're giving you everything, Jesus. But where the heck are you? We feel isolated and alone. But Jesus loves this church. He loves his people. And even in the darkest of times, he will come to us and he'll bring his peace because his purposes will be fulfilled in this community and in this world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for that amazing truth that you are Lord of the church that you keep your eye on the church. And even though at times we mess things up, and even though at times we distrust you, and even though at times we feel as if we're on our own in the midst of a dark world that's hostile and in opposition to us, thank you that you pray for us. You pray for us more than we pray for ourselves but also you bring us your peace and you have everything under control and we trust in you as we look to the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Even though Jesus prays for us, it's really important that we pray ourselves, isn't it? And that's why the foundry on Wednesday night is really important. So let's at the start of the year Try as many of us we can to meet together on Wednesday night just to pray and intercede for our church in the year that lies ahead.